The worst case scenario survival handbook advertises itself to be expert advice for extreme situations. And I think that's true a lot of times I read through the a lot of times I read through the book. But I began to doubt it, and you might know why here in a moment. I read section two under the category The Best Defense. And the chapter was how to wrestle free from an alligator number one if you are on land try to get on the alligator's back right and put forward pressure on its neck so to force its head and jaws down and i drew a little picture like a reptile rodeo kind of on there and then it says too Cover the alligator's eyes. But then number three says this, but if you're attacked, hit them in the eyes. Something like cover the eyes, hit them in the eyes, I'm not sure which. And then number four, if its jaws are closed on something you want to remove. And then literally in parentheses it says, a limb. Punch it in the snout. And I go, no kidding. And then it says alligators often open their mouths when tapped lightly. So your limb is in his mouth and you're tapping lightly. (laughs) Probably also would be good to say pretty please. (laughs) And then number five takes the cake. If the alligator gets you in its jaws. Do we need to finish the sentence? (laughs) You must, listen to this. (laughs) While you're in the alligator's jaw, you must prevent it from shaking and rolling you over. Aren't you in the jaws? How are you preventing anything? And then lastly, number six, the most obvious, seek medical attention immediately. Of course, it has in the same chapter, avoid attacks. How to avoid it? That part you could listen to. This part, not so sure. I mean, I came away from reading that chapter thinking this. If you're going to rest on the alligator, prepare to lose. You're not going to win that one. I think Jacob was in a similar situation. I mean, he's coming to the place in his life after 20 years of running away from Esau and all that has taken place. When Esau said in chapter 27 that after his dad died, he was going to kill him. He's in trouble and he knows it. Our Our first tool in the survival kit was perspective. This one is dependence. What are you going to do when you have no answers to your worst case scenario? Dependence is a word that means the state of relying, being completely controlled by someone or something else. Modern vernacular, I mean, here's what it means. You're not in control. And listen, that's a difficult one for us as Americans because our country was built off dependence or independence. The Declaration of Independence. Kids don't like to be dependent on their parents. They want to do their own thing. People don't like to be dependent on someone else for money. They want to be able to handle all their problems themselves. We want to be able to say, I don't need anyone. Self-reliance, as one author said, is the secret sauce to happiness in America. See, that's what Jacob thought. 
See, Jacob was a self-made man. He was self-sufficient. If he was going to get ahead in life, if he was really going to have a blessing, if he was going to experience happiness, it was because he would figure it out on his own. He'd be the one who worked it out. He'd be the one who deceived and manipulated. Thus, the name, obviously, Jacob. It means supplanter. Supplanter means, old version word, means to take the place of somebody else by force or treachery. And he had done that twice to his brother. That's why even Esau himself says in Genesis 26, 36, speaking of his brother Jacob, is he not rightly named because he has supplanted me these two times? I mean, Jacob lived up to his name. Back in Bible days, names meant something. And his means tricker or deceiver, supplanter. That's what he did. He did it to Esau when he stole his birthright. He did it to him when he stole his blessing. Remember, he dressed up like his brother and had hair on his, you know, and smelt like Esau, brought food like Esau. I mean, he fooled his own dad. I mean, he even uses God to do it because his, his dad said Esau, meaning Jacob, how did you get the deer, the, the venison, so quickly? And he said, because the Lord your God brought it to me. I mean, he even uses God to get ahead in life. I mean, Jacob is the master deceiver. I mean, he deceived Esau, his brother. He deceives his own dad, who is older and blind. He deceives eventually his own uncle Laban and gets the turnaround. Instead of getting Rachel, he gets Leah. I mean, his whole life has been trying to secure his own blessing and happiness, his own way apart from God. Scheming, deceiving, cheating, conniving, those are the ways that Jacob gets around in the world. Doing it on his own. And in the wake of all that, he leaves a path of devastation, including damaged relationships with everyone that was ever close to him. His own brother, his dad, his father-in-law, and even his own wives are affected by it. See, what about you? See, Jacob was heel grabber. That's what he did coming out of the womb. He tried to grab his brother's heel because he came second. And even from the very moment of his birth, he was trying to get ahead on his own. See, is that you? Maybe not heel grabber, but maybe your happiness grabber. Seeking happiness without God. See, being at church today doesn't change that per se, unless you wrestle with God. See, let me ask you, who are you dependent on for your happiness? See, some people find their happiness at the end of a needle, at the bottom of a bottle, somebody else's bed. Sometimes happiness comes with a label like BMW or Mercedes. Sometimes it comes with a dollar sign behind it. Sometimes it comes with the words of acceptance from other people like, I think you're great or aren't you beautiful? See, to get ahead in our world, you have to do what you got to do, Right? And sometimes if people get in the way, you have to ruin their lives too. And you have to run over them. Because your ultimate happiness, your way, is what matters more than anyone else. And that's exactly how Jacob lived. I mean, he ran right over his brother twice. His own father, who was old and blind. He right over his uncle. I mean, all those things. And see, how many relationships maybe have you ruined? And you're sitting here with Thanksgiving and Christmas around the corner, and you know it's not going to be good in your family because it's awkward when you go there. There's tension. 
There's division. In fact, you spent lonely Thanksgivings and Christmases because your happiness found your way has ruined things. A lot of things. A lot of relationships. See, happiness grabbers are people who manipulate and they deceive. They're always looking for an angle to get their own way. And often they couch it and they cloak it in spirituality or saying that you're going to do the right thing and that you really mean well. But all the while, the only real purpose you have is your own personal, private advancement and benefit. See, there is no real dependence on God in any of that. In fact, the reality is that God is not even in the equation. And for Jacob, his worst case scenario was all of that past 20 years was going to come to a head because he's right on the verge of going into Canaan land in Genesis 32. But Esau is there. And he knows that for the longest time Esau has wanted to kill him. It's Jacob's worst case scenario. And he comes in verse 1 of chapter 32. And he comes to the verge of Canaan land. And like it was when Eden, when Adam and Eve was kicked out, there were angels there. In other words, God's trying to say to him, you're not really going to get into the promised land unless you come my way, Jacob. And I'm barring the door to it like I did to the Garden of Eden because you can't come into God's blessing unless you come into it God's way. And Jacob's going to have to learn that lesson. And perhaps God brought you here so that you could as well. The place where he comes to is called Manahaim, which is double camp. And there's going to be a turning point in Jacob's life. Because Esau is there, and he's going to face that worst-case scenario. But it's not just Esau. If you read 32, 6 through 8, you're going to find that Esau has 400 men with him. 400. And, And Jacob knows this. He can't win this wrestling match. He opens the worst case scenario booklet and here's the chapter with his name on it. How to wrestle your angry brother who wants to kill you and survive. And underneath it is a blank sheet of paper because there is no answer to that one. Not for him. He can't handle 400 men. It's a small army and and Jacob has nothing. And that's not where he normally finds himself in life. And the response to that situation, that worst case scenario in verses 7 and 11, this is his response. He's afraid. He's afraid. He even tells God, and the first time he actually prays to God about a situation that he finally admits he can't handle, he says, God, will you deliver me? Here's why. Because I'm afraid of him. No, listen. He's really afraid. Have you ever been there? You ever got to a place in your life, you came to a situation, you're not just afraid, you are afraid. I mean, really afraid. And thoughts start going through your mind that I'm sure I'm going to lose everything. Everyone I love, everything I built my life around, I can't handle this. I can't win this. I'm afraid. So he finally gets a little perspective. And Pastor Dave alluded to it in verse 10 when he prayed, Lord, finally he prays, God, I'm on my knees. Why? 
Because here's my worst case scenario and I can't change it. And see, people come, and maybe you did today, people actually come to church because they've tried their own way, they've done the manipulating, the turning, the, they've done all those things, and here's what. They come to church and say, okay, well, maybe at least I'll give God a try. Maybe he can deliver me from my worst case scenario. And so he prays, and he starts to get a little bit of the right perspective when he says, I'm not worthy of the least of you. Here's what I need, God, mercy. And the least, the smallest amount of your, I don't even deserve it. You know why, God? Because my whole life has been a sham. God, I pretended to need you, but really the truth is the way I handle my relationships, the way I handle my scenarios in my life, God, I haven't needed you. I thought I could handle it by myself. So he prays, God, deliver me because I fear this, my brother. And you know what? God's going to answer his prayer and God's going to deliver him. But listen to this, but not in a way, in any way, shape or form that Jacob would have ever imagined. Because when he fights with God and wrestles with God, God's going to touch his hip socket. and He won't be able to run from Esau, not even close, even if he wanted to. Imagine going to God for help and the only escape route you have is your legs and God takes them out. And maybe God brought you here this morning for that reason. You know why? Because he wants to knock out all of your crutches that you lean on, all the props that you depend on, all your escape routes. He wants to close them. You know why? Because he wants you to do business with him. He wants you to come to the startling realization that the reason why you are in the worst case scenario you're in is because of you. That it's really not a battle between you and Esau or you and your problem. You know what the battle really is? Between you and God. So Jacob is going to learn what it means to depend on God. But he's not there yet. In fact, in the passage, even after he prays, the next few verses in verses 13 through 21, here's what he do because Jacob can't help himself in this sense He wants to always plan it his way. So you know what he does? He's got lots of animals. He's very rich. Knowing his brother's on the other side of the stream, he says to all of his servants, at least three, if not more in a row, he says, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take all these animals, you're going to go over, and you're going to tell them, and and, and Jacob says, and I'm going to play the servant card, call him Lord Esau, and tell him his servant Jacob. So he's got that under control. And he says, bring him the animals and says, here's a gift for you, my brother. Not one time, not twice, three times. And he has it all mapped out. He even tells his servants what to say. And so as they come, one gift comes and then they leave. A little bit later, the second gift comes. A little bit later, the third, because he wants to keep showering him gift after gift after gift. Five, listen to this, 550 animals. In that day, that was considered a gift for a king. And here's what Jacob's doing. He goes, I can still get this. I can still do this. I can still work this out. If I just give him enough gifts, if I flatter him, and here's what he says at the end, maybe he'll accept me. Maybe he'll be appeased by it. And then he says in verse 20, after I do all that, then I will see his face. He sends all of that, and while it's going on, he alone is by the brook Jabuk. If you look at the little name Jabuk in Scripture, it's always a little river or a stream that talks about the borders of the promised land. And when God later, when Israel reads this book, 
now in Jacob's life, here's what he's saying. You can't enter the promised land that I have blessed you for, Israel, unless you come my way. So God's going to meet him before he crosses over into the promised land, before he could ever get God's blessing, before he could ever really know true, genuine happiness. He's going to have a wrestling match. Now for Jacob, when he's interrupting his sleep and a man starts wrestling him, I'm sure that he thought it was Esau. But it wasn't Esau. It was God. Hosea 12 recounts the same story in verses 1 through 6 of that chapter and tells us that angel of the Lord was God himself. And I would think myself a Christophany, probably Jesus himself, pre-incarnate. Can I tell you this principle? You will never, and I repeat, you will never be ready to face your worst case scenario until you have first faced God. Never. That's exactly what some of God's people here need today. No more lies. No more deceit. No more tricks. No more self-reliance. No more trying to control your worst case scenario to try to get the best effect out of it. Try to serve, get that relationship right on your own. Can I tell you this? You can't wrestle gators and you certainly can't wrestle God. And what God wants to do today by bringing you here is to move you from being a happiness grabber to being a God grabber. See, that's what he really wants out of your life. And Jacob was left alone on that night and he wrestled. And that night, like some of you need this morning, God got a hold of him and he got a hold of God. If there was such a thing as a worst case scenario handbook for wrestling God, number one would be this. Know this, you can't win unless you lose. You can't win unless you lose. Jacob is wrestling with God all night long, and eventually it says that God touched his hip socket, and he couldn't, he was having trouble walking. The pain was so great. You see, here's what God wants to do. There is no secret technique like punching the eye, touching the snout, getting on the back. There's none of that when it comes to God. God says, listen, your strength is not what I'm looking for. God wants to know, see, blessing and happiness in your life doesn't come from you being powerful, but God being powerful. It's God's power, Scripture tells us throughout the Bible, that it's your, God's power displayed in your weakness. That's what he's looking for. And often God will break you in order to bless you. And as you read this passage, you cannot help but not come to the, con the conclusion of this. God, most of the time, cannot comfort you into transformation. He must pain you into transformation. We do not change, and we do not depend on God, and we will not learn to submit to him when everything is going right in our lives. It's not until we're faced with the Esau's. It's not until the worst-case scenarios come to our doorstep do we finally re realize this. Oh, yeah, I do need you, God. I do need you. And it's not till we feel the pain of God touching our life, taking something from us, that we come to the realization that we needed him all along. And sometimes when God breaks you to bless you, he, he does it physically like when he broke my arm to get my attention. Sometimes he does it emotionally. 
Hosea 12 said in verses 3 or 4 of Jacob that he wept and sought the favor of the Lord. He wept. So it was a moving time of wrestling with God. It wasn't just that he was in pain physically. God moved him to tears because he wasn't just breaking him on the outside. See, he wanted to break him on the inside. And always, sometimes physically, sometimes emotionally God breaks, but all the time spiritually. See, it says that he wanted to see Esau's face when he was ready, but what he ended up seeing, the Bible says in verse 30, is he saw God face to face, which is a revelatory term that only a very few people in the Old Testament, Moses being one, Gideon being another, that you ever got close enough to be able to have some level of God's glory revealed to you. And see, that's what God wants to do today. He doesn't want to just fix up your messes. He doesn't want to just change your situation. He wants to change you. And you know how he does it? He wants to bring you into a place where you are dependent on him and that you can see him. And what you come away from today is saying, God, I need you. I need you. I need to see you and all that you are because I'll never be the person you want me to be apart from that. Jacob finally gets it. He finally gets it. He experiences it. And he figures out that it's not Esau, it's actually God. And then when he gets a hold of God and God's got a hold of him, God says, let me go. And he says, no way am I letting you go now. You know why? Because for his entire life, Jacob had lived his life seeking happiness in all the wrong sources. If I could just get ahead, if I could just have more animals, if I could just trick Laban, if I can fool my dad, if I can steal from my brother. See, his whole life was this. And he said, you know what? And the blessing never really came. Until the day he wrestled with God. And he knew this. Now I get it. God is the only source of real blessing. He's the only fountain of true and real happiness. And Jacob says, God, I won't let you go. I won't. Not until you bless me. All that God's people at Faith Baptist Church would get a hold of him like that. That it isn't in my job, it isn't in the money, it isn't in the achievements, it isn't the titles behind my name, not because there's anything wrong with any of those things, but they will not bring you the happiness that you're looking for. You will not find it just because you get married or you find that perfect person so and speak with your life. It will not happen just because the doctor's report is without sickness or without disease. Real happiness, lasting happiness, can only be found with God. So if the tip is this, you can't win unless you lose. The second one is this, you are not in control. See, wrestling with God has to teach you that. You are not in control. In the passage, strangely enough, there are two verses about the wrestling match itself. One verse about the place called Peniel, where he sees God face to face. That's what he names it. There's one verse about the tradition from then on out about not eating the muscle on the thigh. But you know where the bulk of the passage, four verses, goes to? This little dialogue at the end of the story between God and Jacob. And it goes like this. God says to Jacob, what is your name? Again, names had meaning. And Jacob, for the first time, has to come to this realization. This is who I am. 
he says, my name is Jacob. That's, it is me. I am the deceiver. I am the trickster. I'm the conniver, the manipulator. That's me. Can I tell you tonight, that's where God, this morning, that's where God wants to bring you. Will you say it? God, I'm the happiness grabber. And for me, that meant it was the girl grabber or the alcohol grabber or the materialism grabber. You put the answer in there. See, God, that's all I've done my whole life. I've been grabbing for this, wanting this, having this, going on to this. See, Jacob had to say this. Yes, yes, that is who I am. And he had to come to the stark realization and be honest with himself. And even though his hip is out of joint and he is in excruciating pain, he says, God, even though that's who I am, I will not let you go because, God, I need your mercies. So he, God asks his name and he says, I'm Jacob. And any time in the Bible you ask someone's name or tell them their name, it's about authority. Adam had all the animals brought to him by God and Adam named all of them because he had authority over them. Jesus cast out a demon. He showed his authority over the demon. What did he say? What is your name? He asked the name of the demon, and it was legion. Why? Because when you ask a name or tell a name, it means you have authority over it. So when God asked Jacob his name, he wasn't just, as he was, not just saying, Jacob, you've got to figure out who you are. Here's what I'm telling you. Jacob, I control you. I have authority over you. And every one, and every detail, and every situation of your life. But see, Jacob hasn't fully got it yet, because his response is, God, what is your name? You notice this, God doesn't answer. Why are you asking my name? Here's why, because you're not in charge. I am, Jacob. Don't ask my name. I'm asking yours. Have you got to the place this morning in your life? Where you said, God, you are in control. God, you're in charge. And the only way, the only way that I can find happiness and blessing is to find it in God, the God who is in complete control. Listen, of everyone and everything in your life. I love verse 28. Because those words are no sooner out of his mouth. And it says, you shall, I love it, circle it, no longer be called Jacob. It's like the before and after pictures on TV. You, are, you used to be this, but now you're this. Not Jacob anymore. Now you're Israel. Israel means wrestler with God. Strives with God. Because now he knows Striving with men, that doesn't really cut it. But it's when I strive with God, hold on to God, that's the blessing. You know what it means to me? That is the wonderful truth of that, that anyone can be changed. God is in the business of changing and transforming Jacob's into Israel's. And he can do that for you. Pastor Walker, you don't know how long I've been doing it. You know how long I've lived this? I know. Jacob was 20 years plus. God can change your life in a moment. He can change your life. He can turn Jacob's into Israel's. He can take deceivers and turn them into devoted followers. 
And then it says this. It's almost a small summary, but so powerful. And he blessed him there. Finally, finally, true happiness, real happiness. Throughout the passage, and I close with this, there are little markers of time that show us a little bit what God's trying to do. And by that I mean this, verse 22, the whole episode of wrestling started at night. They wrestled till the break of day. God says the day has broken. And then in verse 31 to end the chapter, here's how it says. When the wrestling match is over and he finally gets God's blessing, it says, and the sun rose upon him. You see, those are all literary devices to show you this. See, when he came, it was nighttime. But when he wrestled with God, surrendered to God, started depending on God, and found his blessing on God, see, the sun was coming up. In other words, it's a new day for you, Jacob. It's a new day. Would God, it would be a new day for you and me. It's a new day. The sun's rising. We can turn our back on the night of all of the Jacob episodes of our lives. And now there can be a new person, a new person, an Israel. See, Jacob left that camp that day. Not only was it a new day, but he had a new walk. He would limp for the rest of his life, but that limp would be a daily reminder that he needed that I can't walk this way unless I depend on God. A new day, a new walk, a new blessing, a new destiny, a new name. Jacob was a new person. And nothing short of that will do. See, that's why God brought you here. It could be a new day for you. A new life, a new destiny, a new direction, a new relationship, vertically and horizontally. We don't have time, but it's beautiful. You know what happens in Genesis 33 that he can't run away anymore? He goes to meet Esau and he's thinking the worst. You know what happens? Esau walks up to him, puts his arms around him, and they start crying and they're restored to each other. Who would have ever thought it? See, it isn't amazing how God can take your worst case scenario and turn it into your best case scenario. See, he can do that only when you become a God grabber, though. Only then. See, are you ready to face your worst case scenario? The answer is no, if you haven't faced your God. And this is your morning, this is your morning to make it your declaration of dependence on God. Let's close in prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, in a moment we're going to conclude by singing 596, I Surrender All. See, maybe you're here this morning and the real need of your heart is that you wrestle with God. You know why? Because you need a new life. You need God to make you a new creation in Christ Jesus. This isn't about external reformation. This is about internal transformation. And as you're sitting here this morning and you have been listening, God has been moving in your heart through his word by his spirit. And you say, Pastor Walker, I don't even know for sure that I know God. I know about God and I come to church, but do I have a relationship with him? Have I ever been born again, regenerated by the Holy Spirit to have new life? Have I ever come to the place where I said who I am? Jacob, I am a sinner See, I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior, and Jesus is my only hope. If you've never recognized that the death of Christ on the cross was in payment for your sins, and that his resurrection is your only hope of victory, if you've never put your faith and trust in what he has done for you to forgive your sins, see, today is the day, the new day, the new life that he has planned for you. You can call on him to be your Lord and Savior. 
If you've never done that, I invite you to do that this morning. But perhaps you're here and you know God, but you're not dependent on him. Not if you're honest. Not if you really, if he asked your name, what would you say? Would you tell him the truth about who you really are? Not what everyone at church thinks you to be. Not what this facade that you put on in front of everyone else seems to be. But who you really are. Will you still struggle to find happiness where it can't be found? Or will this be the turning point in your life today as a Christian? Say, God, I surrender. Do what you will. Put my hip out of socket. Put my life out of socket. Whatever you got to do. Because, God, I want to grab a hold of you today. Paul said, I want to lay hold of him who has laid hold of me. And God brought you here to say, let your hands go. Stop being a happiness grabber. Start being a God grabber. Maybe this morning you would come as we sing. And we could have someone help you and pray with you about those issues. Father, you know the hearts and lives of everyone in this room and their true spiritual needs. No more deceit. No more faking out. No more lying. May we come to grips with who we really are and who you really are. And may you bring us to that place of radical transformation by your grace and for your glory, whatever the need might be. In Jesus' wonderful and matchless name I pray. Amen.